Welcome back to all members of the Pop Punk Posse. As you know, this is the Pop Punk Project, and I'm your host, Keenan. What's up, Pop Punk Posse? This is Mike. Welcome back to Episode 9 of the Pop Punk Project. This episode will be discussing the All-American Rejects self-titled debut LP. Let's stage dive in, Mike. Mike, what do you know about Stillwater, Oklahoma? Anything? Actually, Keenan, before today, not much. But while researching this album, I learned that's where the band The All American Rejects was formed back in 1999. Hey, do you want to know some famous celebrities from Stillwater, Mike? <laughs> do you have some? No. Oh. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Oklahoma State University is also in Stillwater, and the National Wrestling Hall of Fame is in Stillwater as well. That's pretty cool. Actually, Garth Brooks is from Stillwater. He's like one of the most famous country music artists of all time. Oklahoma's, you know, a foreign place for us. Stillwater is the 10th largest city there. It has a population of 50,000 people. So that's like not that many people for the 10th largest city in the state, but it's near Tulsa and Oklahoma City, about, about an hour or so away, I think. Pretty cool. Also, James Marsden from X-Men, 30 Rock, Westworld. He's a pretty big celebrity. That's funny because I always kind of thought him and Tyson Ritter looked somewhat alike. Yeah, there's something in the water there, I guess. The All American Rejects self-titled album was released October 15th, 2002 by Doghouse Records before it was actually re-released on February 4th, 2003 by DreamWorks Records. What's the story behind that? Yeah, that's right, Ken. I think this was the first album we've come across that had this situation occur. So All American Rejects was signed to Doghouse. They went on a couple tours. I guess DreamWorks got wind of these guys and decided they wanted to sign them to their label. In doing so, they put a ton of money behind the album and really pushed it, did a bigger commercial release in February of 2003, much bigger than the independent label had done previously. Can you just ditch your label like that and take all the music you recorded on one and just bring it over to another something seems off about that to me yeah i'm not sure the actual business transactions that went into it i'm sure if dreamworks wanted this band they probably paid doghouse for it yeah definitely some money exchanged hands maybe it worked out well for all parties you know there was really no telling what this band was going to turn into at the time it's an easier risk to take if you're a big label like dreamworks i'm sure doghouse got a, a nice payout from it and figured these guys suck <laughs> The DreamWorks version of this album, the later version, peaked at number 25 on the Billboard 200 albums chart. The single Swing Swing peaked on the Billboard Hot 100 at number 60, as well as number 8 on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. And then their second single, The Last Song, was also released in the spring of 2003, and that reached number 29 on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. The album went platinum in the U.S. with over 1 million shipments. And also in Platinum in Canada, which in Canada, it's only 80,000 shipments. It's a big number. It's a nice, healthy number. They also released a live DVD, Live from Oklahoma, the Too Bad for Hell DVD. Very badass. Which went gold. I'm guessing gold for the live DVD is the same as gold for album sales, which would be 500,000, which I think that's a ton of DVDs to sell, even back in 2003, wouldn't yeah, you think? Yeah, especially for a somewhat unknown band that was still up and coming. That sounds like a lot to me. 
They must have had a very uh, devoted fan base. Clearly. Back to your favorite segment, Mike. What in the world is going on in February 2003? February 1st, 2003, uh, the Space Shuttle Columbia was reported to have disintegrated over Texas on its final approach to a landing uh, after its 28th space mission. Unfortunately, all seven crew members were killed in the disaster, and it was later discovered that a piece of foam insulation had broken off the fuel tank and punctured a hole in the left wing during launch. The space program is something that I think everybody agrees is awesome and a really cool, fascinating thing. And just to have you have these tragedies happen, it, it's just really, as a country, it's like, oh man, this stinks. Yeah. I often wonder how something so small, like a piece of foam falling off a part of the ship, can lead to such a catastrophic disaster. I'd like to ask somebody who's pretty knowledgeable about it. I'd love to ask somebody like Charlie Kelly what the physics behind that are and how it could go so wrong. It seems minuscule in comparison of the piece of equipment that you're working with, this incredible rocket that's able to leave Earth and come back again. But yeah, so unfortunately, it was enough, I guess. I do remember this happening. This is one of the memories that is very clear in my head. I remember taking some sort of standardized test at one of the local high schools around us. And I left the test and got in the car with my mom, and this was all over the radio. And then as soon as I got home, it was clearly all over the news. But I remember just that being a very dark day. It was like you wake up early, you take this PSAT or whatever it was that we were taking in middle school, and you're drained and you leave it, and you have this national disaster to now deal with. Yeah, that must have been really hard for you. (laughs) On February 4th, 2003... The Federal Republic of Yugoslavia was renamed Serbian Montenegro with a new constitution converting the Federal Republic to a quote-unquote loose union. Sounds awesome. Sounds like a place you want to go, right? Like a party, a party country. <laughs> a nice, loose, fun place. Hey, you know, we're not trying to hassle anybody. Just have your fun. Just, you know, keep the music down a little bit. We're, we, have a, we have a loose union here. None of that tight union <laughs> BS. <laughs> What's America? Is America a tight or a loose union? It's pretty um, uptight most of the time. We're a republic. Yeah, but we're also a union. I did see this on Wikipedia. I don't really even know if there was a wiki entry for the term loose union. It must have just been something that they were like, this is what we are now. I think they were just trying to publicize it in a fun way. But yeah. when I think of those old school Balkan countries, I think real fun and loose. Looking to get away? <laughs> Aren't they like known for their incredible civil wars over the years? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Not anymore. Now they're good. Now they're a loose union. Yeah. Keenan, some some music news that isn't pop punk. February 6, 2003. This kind of goes along with DreamWorks buying out Doghouse for this band. U.S. rapper 50 Cent releases his album Get Rich or Die Tryin' under Aftermath Entertainment, Shady Records, and Interscope. Whoa. What a combo. Maybe this was just a thing back when the music industry still was viable. I mean, that album, I'm sure, sold a billion copies, so all those guys got paid. 50 got paid. Oh, yeah. 100%. I guess there was enough to go around in those days. I remember that record being a huge record. Even if you didn't like rap, you were listening to that record. Into Club, Many Men, P.I.M.P. Those are all bangers, 21 dude. Questions. Yeah, every one of those was a hit. I listened to that album. Did you not listen to that album? I mean, I didn't buy the album, but like those songs were everywhere. Yeah, it was great. I remember listening to that album playing Snood on my family computer. Did you have Snood? 
No, but is that the one with like the little guys? Yeah, it's like the weird shaped heads and Yeah. I haven't played Candy Crush. Probably one of the only people out there who hasn't, but I feel like it's a Candy Crush type of game where you have to match up the different right. shapes and colors. It's just like Tetris with a different spin on it. Kinda, yeah. Abby plays Candy Crush. I've never played it either. I just she'll lie in bed at night and play on the iPad. It's like Yeah. I just hear like sounds like like things breaking. Yep. I feel like we're in the vast minority having never played Candy Crush. It's like yeah. one of those popular mobile games. Again, I'm not a gamer. I just never can get into games. That's true. We do know that. I don't know. I'd rather just go to sleep. <laughs> That's what gamers do instead of sleep. They just replace that with more gaming. Yeah, like Freel. Like Freel, our gamer friend. On February 14, 2003, here's a little more science news for you. Dolly the Sheep. Do you remember Dolly, the first cloned animal in the world? I do. That was a big deal. Yeah, well, on that day, they euthanized her. <laughs> on Valentine's Day? On Valentine's Day. Oh, man. Of all days. Hey, how about this one? Goodbye, Dolly. <laughs> yeah, when there's magic in the air, such a sad thing happens. 2003 seems like a really early point to be cloning animals, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Did we put that on the back burner? I don't hear about that too often. I feel like if it was going on, I would. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like at this point, you think if you're cloning an animal in 2003, now you're like cross-cloning stuff. Yeah. You feel like at this point, they would have some crazy developments. Yeah, there's definitely a colony of centaurs out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Why aren't they doing more crazy cloning? Probably because that freaked us out enough that this sheep could be created out of thin air. Yeah, I wonder if that was like, oh my gosh, it actually worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's never do this again. They took Jeff Goldblum's advice from Jurassic Park. Yeah. They actually considered, should we? And they decided no. <laughs> it's like the atomic bomb, how they built it and used it. And then they're like, oh my God, we can never do that again. Well, maybe one more time. Yeah, a couple more times. All right, whatever. <laughs> and then finally, later in the month. And by the way, February is a short month, Mike. Let's not forget that. That's right. February 27, 2003. This is a sad one. Fred Rogers, the host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, dies of stomach cancer at his home in Pittsburgh at the ripe old age of 74. Sad. That is sad. I do remember when he passed away, it was a big deal at school because Mr. Rogers was one of those universally beloved figures. And he's kind of had a reascension to prominence recently with the PBS documentary about him, then a feature film documentary, and another film starring Tom Hanks. I don't know what it was, but the past three or four years, people are like, hey, remember Mr. Rogers? He was the man. Maybe it's just the where we are in, in uh, life today. It's like, wow, this guy was just a nice, good person that wanted to help people. What a foreign concept. He seems like one of those untouchable celebrities. There hasn't really been any. I feel like every single person that you look up to as this wholesome, genuine person turns out to be some sort of depraved lunatic. Every celebrity who's been in similar shoes has come out with some sort of controversy not him it seems like he's immune to it almost i think i remember part of the one of the documentaries i watched it was people just waiting to try to have this gotcha moment you know yeah at the time it was like oh maybe he's a homosexual which was a controversy in and of itself but it's like well first of all like who cares but you know he yeah. was married to his wife he there was that rumor for a while that he was like a sniper in the vietnam war or something like that that's a new one Do you remember that as a kid i don't i don't think i heard that one no 
I remember it going around and it was like, oh, Mr. Rogers was actually a sniper. He has tattoos. That's why he wears those sweaters. That'd be so cool. <laughs> I know. It's like, well, that wasn't true either. But yeah, he was just ah, this, darn. this nice guy that he was had humble beginnings in public television and he just used that platform for good for many, many years. So You'd think somebody like that who's so close to children on a daily basis, you would expect something to come out, some sort of claim or allegation through coffee on a 10 year old <laughs> you know as one does yeah. as a normal human being would do but yeah nothing he's just a great all-around guy rest in peace mr rogers so this was a big album during pop punk's heyday where did you discover it mike how did you first listen to it so similar to what we discussed with fallout boy i think it was our friends alex and steph from gwenny camp that alex and steph again yeah i think that was the first time i saw them they were just listening to something before camp started, and I was like, oh, what are you listening to? And it was All American Rejects, and I think it was this album, going by the, the time frame. So I checked it out. I think I had heard Swing Swing before, but not much else. From there, I, I really liked this album, and I really liked their next album, too, Move Along. So I was into them from their start, I think. And this was also a band that my sister and I always bonded over, uh, my sister Caitlin and I. She isn't as into a lot of these bands as I am, but All American Rejects were one that we always like, we both love this album and their future album. So that was always cool to be able to, you know, not fight over what you listen to in a car ride or something like that. What about you? How did you first hear about them? I don't think anybody introduced me to them. I think this was a rare occurrence where I saw them on MTV and I heard them on the radio and I took the initiative to buy the album and listen to them and really get into them myself. I have vivid memories of the music videos for Swing Swing, the last song, Time Stand Still. Those are images that I have stuck in my head, and those were things that I definitely saw back in the day. And I thought, oh, this is a really good band. And to your point about you and your sister both enjoying their music, they were a band that seemed to connect to a much wider audience than a typical Sum 41, Blink-182. If you listen to Sum 41 and Blink-182, you were getting into the pop-punk scene. But All American Rejects, they were more closely aligned with just pop music. Right. And I think cast a wider net because of that. So not only were you and I and Tom Mackle and the other members of Gum Bear Warriors listening to this band, but everybody in our grade was listening to this band. And my siblings were listening to this band. They were a little more universal in their sound. Almost like a band that should have been released on DreamWorks instead of yeah. Doghouse. What was... <laughs> they learned their lesson. They figured it out eventually. Yeah. This album has a lot of songs about relationships, Keenan. I think of all the themes, we were able to detect a couple, but I think relationships is the big one. I think it's the only one, really. Yeah. If you read through the lyrics, which I've honestly never done before, it seems like every song is about either a failed relationship or a relationship where there is a difference of opinion. And I was thinking this might be a little bit repetitive. But then, in looking at how the band was formed, Tyson Ritter was only 18 when this album was released. So that means he was writing these songs at a pretty young age, which, when you're 16, 17 years old, girls are one of the only things you really care about. So I guess that makes sense. I didn't realize he was so young. Yeah, he's only 36 right now, which is kind of crazy that I always think of these guys as pushing 50. Yeah, because most of them typically are yeah but these guys they were not much older than us when we were first listening to them which is kind of insane i don't know if i like that or if i hate that kind of makes you think kind of both. what the hell were we doing he was selling five hundred thousand live dvds 
I was sitting at home watching him. <laughs> I was playing Snood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too many games of Snood. I was playing Snood while listening to 50 Cent, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you turned out just fine. Uh, Yeah, sure. I got some things going on, but yeah. Anything else you noticed uh, in terms of theming or, or uh, tropes? For me, I picked up on the same thing. It was one pretty singular theme throughout. And I had this crazy theory that the entire album was just about one single ex-girlfriend. Because you can almost follow the progression from being in a happy relationship to things going bad, to then going back with that person or contemplating going back with that person, to things going bad again, and then eventually accepting the outcome. It just seemed like it was this one sort of straight line throughout the album. And I did a little bit of research and found out that Sure enough, Tyson Ritter wrote this album almost exclusively about one particular girl. Man, I did think the same thing when the lines were very similar from song to song. It was kind of like what we discussed with Brand New when it it was like, get over this chick, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But that does, that makes a whole lot of sense. This was probably maybe his first real girlfriend, I guess you could say. Yeah, and that affects you. When he was a teenager and whether they broke up or whatever happened, uh, He got an album out of it, so (laughs) good for him. Yeah, that is the big theme, Mike, but there are a couple other things that I picked up on somewhat related to that theme. He loves talking about time. He mentioned several times how he wants to be frozen in a specific time, or he wants to go back in time, Mm -hmm. or he wants to fast forward in time to get through a bad situation. He loves talking about time and how it's connected to this relationship. Yeah. I can see that connected in with the theme of time. There's a lot of talk about nights and days, like nights turn into days or days turn into nights. Yeah. And the passage of time. Right. Relating the nighttime with a period of loneliness or self-reflection and the daytime with happiness and uh, spending time with the person you love. So, yeah. One thing I noticed that's different about this album is they tend to use a lot of different instruments than the typical ones we hear in pop punk albums. In addition to the two guitars that use distortion, the bass, the heavy hitting drums, they use a lot more piano in their songs. They also use more drum machines. They use bells. They use xylophones. It's just things that you don't typically hear. Yeah, there's a couple songs that have like string arrangements in them, organs. It's very advanced in terms of what we're used to listening to in this genre. Some bands may have one song that has a different instrument and that stands out, but this one is spread throughout the album, which is pretty cool. I was thinking that maybe that's why it appealed to a broader audience. Maybe it made it sound more alternative or more pop. Maybe just using those instruments changed the sound just enough so it wasn't strictly this pop punk emo feel to it. That could be. I can see that. But I thought it was cool because it brought a different dimension to it. They weren't afraid to pop in a drum track that they created in Fruity Loops or whatever they were using back then. (laughs) Hopefully they had something other than Fruity Loops. Well, that's what I was using back then. So if I was using it, Tyson Ritter was using it. Keenan, dinner. (laughs) Mom, I'm playing snood and doing my Fruity Loops. (laughs) 50 Cent won't wait. So Keenan, when we say... All American Rejects, and we talked about Tyson Ritter breaking up with his girlfriend. At this point in time, the band really was just Tyson Ritter and guitarist Nick Wheeler. What do you mean? The two of them 
were the only ones recording this album. Wait, really? Yeah. They had had previous members that they had parted ties with. Their previous guitarist, uh, Jesse Tabish, had left prior to this album. And the band was also having issues with their drummer, Tim Campbell. So they asked him to leave as well. So you're telling me that those guys left and then Tyson Ritter and Nick Wheeler sat down and wrote this entire album themselves? Yeah, they had to go out and look for people to fill out a live lineup. If they wanted to tour this album, they needed two more band members to play the songs live. That's interesting, and it makes me feel like maybe the reason they were using so many drum machine beats was because they didn't actually have a drummer. And the reason they were using these different instruments was because they didn't have a second guitarist, and they didn't have a ton of backing vocalists. Maybe that's why they were incorporating all these different sounds. You might be spot on there. I never even thought of that. That's pretty interesting. I did interesting. not put two and two together on that one. To fill out the lineup, Mike Kennedy joined as rhythm guitarist shortly before the album was released. And then right after the album was released, Chris Gaylor was hired to be the drummer. That lineup was set and it has remained unchanged to this day. So they hired essentially touring musicians to jump in just so they could go on tour. I guess they hired them with the intention of needing them to tour, but I'm sure they were looking for guys that were compatible for the long haul, you know? Okay, yeah. Although um, Kennedy and Gaylor were not recorded on this album, they're still in all the music videos. Right. So it wasn't like, oh, these guys are touring members. It was like, these guys are in the band now. They are part of All American Rejects. Yeah. Swing Swing, Time Stand Still, all those single videos, all four of these guys were in them. That brings me to... The big question, Mike, the big question of this album, the big question of All American Rejects, is Tyson Ritter the dreamiest pop-punk lead singer? I think that's fair to say in the classic sense. <laughs> He's the most like all-American boy singer. Whoa! The most all-American boy lead singer? You know, just a small-town boy out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. All-American, you say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got those blue eyes, the bushy hair. And it is funny, like, they obviously knew that he was a good-looking guy because all the music videos are just him. They all start with just close-up of him. Yeah. And he just, like, hovers around the microphone. It almost looks like he's drunk, like, swaying back and forth. And it's like, okay, I can kind of see why, like, 10-year-old girls love this band as much as, like, 15-year-old dudes. Yeah. He did know how to flirt with the camera. That was one of his specialties. Most of the singers in this genre are, like, they are more punky. Like, you think of Joel Madden and... Derek Wibley. Tom and Mark from Blink. Yeah. You know, they're not bad-looking guys, but they're not, like, a, a classically handsome person. Right. So to answer your question, yeah, he is, he is so hot. <laughs> he is pretty dreamy. I always thought he looked exactly like Tom Welling, who played a young Clark Kent in the TV show Smallville, who also is objectively a very dreamy young man my third time with james marsden i can kind of see there um the similarities between them yeah another one was killian murphy the guy from peaky blinders i thought tyson ritter was always a combination of tom welling and killian murphy he looks like he lived life a little bit harder than tyson ritter yeah that's true but <laughs> doesn't he look like him though i can see a resemblance yeah check it off dreamy so dreamy <laughs> Track number one, My Paper Fart. I mean, My Paper Heart. <laughs> Please just don't play with me. My paper heart will bleed. This way for destiny won't do. Be with me. Please 
first let's talk about that title, Paper Heart. It's a fragile heart. It's a vulnerable person. That's got to be what that means, right? Yeah. Easily ripped, torn, torn apart, torn into pieces, crumpled up, thrown into a, a wastebasket. Whoa, that doesn't mean you have to destroy it. Sure, why not? It could be an intact paper heart. That's true, like a valentine. Exactly, yeah. And what type of paper are we talking about? We're talking about loose leaf, talking about construction paper. What do we got here? I'm thinking construction paper. What's your heart, Mike? What flavor of paper is your heart? I think mine's construction paper, but the heart is like uh, misshaped and kind of has some pointy edges where it should be a, a nice round edge. Looks like some kid cut it out haphazardly. Are you saying you have heart disease or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I have a blockage. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. No, I just was never good at cutting stuff, so that's how my heart would look if it were paper. Got it. Okay, now it makes perfect sense. Well, you answered the question, wise guy. What does your paper <laughs> heart look like? <laughs> Very easy. Printer paper. That's pretty solid paper. It's ripe for the molding, Mike. But how's yours cut? Like a nice long rectangle. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love that. Just a plain piece of printer paper. Actually, it's probably toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Used or fresh out of the package? Currently circling the drain. Toilet paper that was put on the roll the wrong way. Oh. Wait, what do you consider the wrong way? Under. The wrong way is if it's like hanging from the bottom, not from the top. It should be hanging over the top of the bar and down. Down toward you. Okay, good. It shouldn't be like against the wall and hanging behind the roll. Okay, good. So you're not an absolute savage. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay, agreed. It was just like the roll's in the way if you do it the other way. It's like it it tears too easily. When Canal and I used to live with Aaron, he used to flip it down the reverse way and Canal and I would do it the correct way. And boy, was it a constant battle. That sounds terrible. He would switch it just to mess with us. Not to be, not to be like an actual jerk, but just to like, just to rib us. That wasn't his true preference. It was just... No, I think it was his true preference, but I think oh, I think he would have been fine with it either way, but just to give us a hard time, he would swap it. And that's why we're not roommates anymore. <laughs> Good riddance. <laughs> Good riddance. An early judgment thing for me, like when you would go to somebody's house and you would say like, oh, like what a nice home. And then you would go to the bathroom and you would kind of stop and your jaw would fall to the floor and be like, there's trouble afoot in this home. At that point, you might as well just be you might as well just be homeless. Something's not right. There's bodies under this foundation or something. <laughs> yeah. Something's going on something's here. Something's <laughs> off. What do you think this song's about? I took this as moving on from an old love, but not being thrilled about it. Okay. I heard a conflicting message. You're bottling up old love and throwing it out to sea, but you're also saying this wait for destiny won't do. I think it's that kind of thing that we've discussed before where Maybe you're not perfect for one another, but are you willing to sacrifice a good relationship to find out if there's something better? If you're perfectly happy and maybe they're not the exact soulmate, are you willing to dump them and spend years of your life trying to find the perfect person? Or would you be content with somebody that's like 95 out of 100? They check almost every single box other than maybe one or two. Is that how you saw it or heard it? Yeah, I did see it that way. Like he's indecisive in this relationship. And because of that, it's causing some bit of hardship. And maybe that's where the paper heart part comes in because he doesn't know if his heart can take this uncertainty or this confusion.
going back to what we talked about with the multi-instrumentals on this album, there's a great portion of this song where the line is, tears fall down your face. And as Tyson Ritter is singing that line, there's a xylophone that is scaling down. Yeah. Like, dun, 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 dun. So it's like... That's a cool part. It's always one that stuck out to me, and they literally are like teardrops. And I think we'll come to find out they don't always have the deepest lyrics, but their music, it makes up for it tenfold, in my opinion. Yeah, they have a cool use of different sounds and different ways of utilizing those sounds. It's not like what we've heard in the past. It's not a straightforward chord progression like in Green Day. It's totally different. It's a unique sound that they have perfected. This was a song where they also talk about seasons and time. And I think their use of time and seasons is like the perfect analogy for relationships. Fall is like the ending of a relationship. Winter is the the depths of winter when nothing grows, nothing flourishes. And then spring is like you start anew. Yeah, and it's just like the lines. Summertime, the nights are so long, the leaves fall down and so do I into the arms of a friend. Winter nights, my bedside is cold for I am gone and spring blossoms you to me. It's that whole cycle that they cover. They do do a nice job of that. One other thing, I think you might have noticed this as well, Keenan. There's a couple words throughout this album that I'm pretty sure were just Tyson Ritter's vocabulary words <laughs> yeah. from high school that he threw into his songs. Beseech? Yep, yeah. beseech. He just needed to use that. Be with me, please. I beseech you. Yeah. It's like a Shakespearean line. And there's a couple others that I picked out that I'll mention along the way, but similar to what we talked about with Billy Joe Armstrong, he had an interesting way with using words to better help the flow of a song. You see this on this album as well, but this one fits. I don't think it always fits, but I do like how you use beseech in this one. I find it pretty funny because the majority of the time, the lyrics are pretty straightforward. I think Tyson Ritter has a pretty simple way of phrasing things right. as opposed to, say, a brand new or a Taking Back Sunday. And then every now and then he'll throw in a beseech and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. What's this all about? He copy pasted somebody else's paper and forgot to change <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah. Or he literally <laughs> went through and did like synonyms for beg, yeah. beseech. Okay, that'll work. Pop it in. He did a search and find yeah. <laughs> and just replaced everything. Yeah. They also use some familiar pop punk sounds in here. Some bop bop ahs, some la la's. Do you notice that in the bridge? Bop bop bop. Yeah. I love it though. Yeah, it keeps it fun, keeps it light. I always welcome that. Me too. Track number two. One I didn't know that well that I really liked after listening to it again. Your star. Is this about space? This is completely unrelated to this song, 
but what? All right, let's go. <laughs> Did you ever buy anybody a star or like a like name a star after your mom or something? Yeah, I do know that. Uh, have I done it? No. What are the mechanics behind that? How do you go about doing that? Who's selling these? It's some type of fraud with a legal oh. counsel that must be the best in the business because <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody's really gone to jail for this yet. But um, yeah, it's like probably you spend a hundred bucks and then they mail you some made up star in some far off solar system. And they tell you where it is in the sky so you can try to locate it. Right. I don't think everybody gets their own star. I think it's the same exact one. Oh, yeah. And sure. they just or maybe like five that they rotate. If you get two sent to the same household, it's like, make sure you give them two different stars. It's going to be really awkward in several million years and everybody's showing up to claim their stars and <laughs> there's a few hundred people per <laughs> Several star. million, dude. Give it like 10. <laughs> oh, God. Who knows? Yeah, that's pretty insane. Can I just sell Pluto to somebody? Yeah. Make a couple quick mil? Just the title reminds me of that, but... No, it's funny because you said it was unrelated, but it's actually extremely related because there's a line in the song that he says... I picked out your star. I literally thought the same thing. I was like, huh, that reminds me of those people that quote unquote sell stars. <laughs> Scumbags. This website says buy a star for just nineteen ninety five. <laughs> you didn't just find that. Yeah, it says um just Google buy a star. Nineteen ninety five is a steal. I'll buy a star for that. This domain name's legit. Star hyphen name hyphen registry dot org. It's an org. So that's a pretty legit organization. It sounds like it's safe. Yeah. That's just preying on old people. I think. Can old people use the internet? Well, when it started, it probably started as like a commercial. Oh, look, toll free phone number right there. at the There top it of the is. Page. That's how they get. That's you. how they want them to contact them. All right. Can you write that down? Send it to me, please. Yeah. All right, cool. I got a breakup as a theme of this song, but it was a different type of breakup to me. It was clearly ending a relationship, but I thought it was also about reflecting on the good times in the relationship. Like I mentioned, the line, I picked out your star, turned night to day. Later in the chorus, your love for me was everything I need, the air I breathe. It's like he acknowledges that this relationship is over, but at times it was strong and at times things were good. I think there's a lot of that. I think, I'm not sure how his relationship ended with this girl that you found out a lot of these songs are about, but it seems like... If it wasn't amicable, it was not on the worst terms. There's this longing where it's like, okay, yeah, this probably isn't going to work out, and we're better off going our separate ways, but the times that we did have together, they were really special to me. It was a bit refreshing because usually in breakup songs with pop punk bands, a lot of the times it's how much you now hate this person, how they're your enemy, right? how they're terrible, and you're calling them out for being a bad person, but... I thought this was Tyson Ritter acknowledging that this ex-girlfriend is still a person. Even though you're not in a relationship with them anymore, you'll still always have that special place for them, even after you break up. Absolutely. I really love the music of this song as well. There's some synthesizers that really make it stand out to me. Musically, it's one of my favorite tracks on the record. Lyrically, I think it's, it's fine. But I found listening through again... These songs are, almost all of them are great if you just don't read too far into the lyrics. Yeah. Like, if you just enjoy the complete song for what it is, it's an incredible album. Yeah. But I was reading the lyrics of this song, and I was like, okay, this sounds like something a 16-year-old would have written. Yeah. It is what it is. That's why we're here, Mike, to blow all this up <laughs> and really pick out the imperfections, you know? 
having been in uh you know, a 16-year-old that was trying to write poetry, this sounds like something that a lot of people in uh, my poetry class would have been very proud of. One of these days, I'd really like to take a look at that book of yours and just go through it with a fine-tooth comb. Maybe we can do that as a bonus episode or something. We oh, man. dive into your poetry and your music. I I'll just send that. you copies and you can analyze them. That would be great. <laughs> Check out our Patreon for the next episode yeah. of Keenan Analyzes Mike. We don't need a fine-tooth comb. We need a, a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. Don't say that. Art is art. No, it, it is really fun to look back and be like, every once in a while, it's like a lot of these songs. I did the same thing. It's like, a lot of this is rubbish, but every once in a while, there's a line where it's like, hey, that's a pretty good line. Nice job. <laughs> Man, I can't believe they're making a Donnie Darko sequel. What the hey? <laughs> that wasn't my lyrics, dude. That was just my journal. That was my free writing. I know what it was. <laughs> but to get back to the song, it is a nicer spin on the breakup, but at the end of the day, it is still about a breakup. And as we learned, almost this whole album is about a breakup, or at least about an ex and a former relationship. There are some nice parts of the song. There are some moments where he's recounting the fond memories, but he's also saying, I worry all the time. Why worry anymore? Now I go away. A simple whisper from your voice and I fade away. You wish for love. You pushed me away. So there, there is still that negative side to it that anybody would experience because of a breakup. Right. It's relatable, for sure. Track number three, the lead single of the album, Swing Swing. This one was huge. This is the biggest song from the album, the most popular. I think the one that really propelled All American Rejects into the mainstream. They're famous for this one. I think it's still their most famous song to this day, isn't it? I think maybe Gives You Hell has surpassed it. It's definitely the biggest song off of this album. And then maybe Dirty Little Secret, too. I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, that's true. It's definitely in the top five, if not the top three. So with this song, let's take a quick step back here. So the first song, Paper Heart, that was all about this blossoming relationship with this person who may or may not be right for you. You're through the courting process. You've dated them. Things were going well for a while. And then all of a sudden, the grass looks greener on the other side. It ends. You move on. Track number two, Your Star, is a breakup song. But it's not a typical breakup song where you hate this person. It's like sort of a cordial end to the relationship. There might be a second chance for this at some point in the future, but at the end of the day, the relationship is over. Then we get to Swing Swing, where it's now a song about thinking about your ex-girlfriend, viewing her moving on, getting into other relationships, dealing with the repercussions of your earlier actions. Nice. Very well done. Very well spoken. Yeah, I mean, that's what I got from the song. Is that what it's about? I think that's safe to say. I didn't disagree with anything you just went yeah, over. Yeah, I mean, because the lyrics are... I'm dreaming of her, she's seeing other guys, emotions they stir. 
Mm-hmm. You realize you probably made a mistake by breaking up with her. You let this relationship end, and now you're jealous, essentially, of her moving on. Right. And it's like, how are you going to deal with these new emotions that you haven't had to deal with before? Keenan, the emotions don't stir. The emotions stir. Oh. It's another vocabulary word. Is that the word, stir? A-S-T-I-R, yes. I didn't even realize that. I thought he said, emotions they stir. I always thought the emotions are stirred or something like that. I don't know. Hmm. Another vocab word. I guess in this case, we didn't even know what it was, but it does stand out against the rest of the album. Pretty simple lyrics. He gets the point across, but the simple lyrics with some, what do you want to call them? Five-star words thrown in? Yeah, exactly. He wants to prove that he knows these big words without having to use them too frequently to mess them up. Beseech, a stir. But no, I think you're exactly right. This is a song about kind of letting somebody go and then maybe, am I sure about this? Is this the right choice? It's hard, you know? And the chorus is, I guess it's right before the chorus, you know, did you think that I would cry on the phone? It's almost like, what were you expecting my reaction to be? Like, were you expecting to break up and that I would be devastated? Or we break up and I'm on to bigger and better things? Yeah, that's true, but I think there's also a balance. Like, he is pretending like he's doing fine, but he can't help but have these thoughts. He can't escape these thoughts of her moving on, too. So it's kind of an interesting balance. How about this for a line, Mike? I thought this line was very simple plan sounding. The sun is gone, the nights are long, and I am left while the tears fall. Ooh, that is very simple plan. That's tough. Yeah, it's like you're stuck at home and you're just kind of caught up in your own emotions. Like, that was... The entire Simple Plan album, wasn't it? My tears won't stop falling. Yeah. Somebody help me. The sun's gone. It's dark out. (laughs) Here's another line that I was wondering about. So the line is, the notes are old, they bend, they fold. Do you think they mean musical notes or going off of the idea of a paper heart, like notes that you would pass in class, notes that you would send one another, like little love notes? Yeah. Back in the day... For whatever reason, I thought musical notes, but it clearly can't be that. That doesn't make sense, right? I think it's like a hard copy note that you have stored up somewhere right. under your bed in a box from this person. Right. And I was thinking like, you know how when you have an older piece of paper, it could be a letter or just something you saved and you fold it a certain way mm-hmm. and maybe press it into a binder or like put it in a drawer. Yeah. And then you can pull it out years later, but you have to refold that paper the exact same way right like yeah. when you unravel it the creases are are so worn in that you really can't get any different fold than how it's always been yeah it's permanent now we talk a lot about the gummy bear warriors but i actually had a little band of my own back in the day still involving tom mackle so shout out tom yeah glory falls right that's right our band glory falls so i guess it was it was after gummy bear warriors disbanded it was like our little high school band at one point, we wrote and recorded a song 
that we thought was like a really good song and we played it for you. Yep. I remember this. You weren't even like nice about it. You're like, this sounds exactly like Swing Swing by the All-American Rejects. It was so obvious. It did. I don't even know if it was the guitar or if it was the way I was singing, but... It was both. It was all of it. It was literally a direct ripoff. <laughs> Whenever I see like a lawsuit about one band suing another band or something like that, about using intellectual property or ripping off their music, I just think, hey, Glory Falls did it. We could have been in a huge lawsuit. We didn't even realize what we were doing. Yeah, you guys would have been sunk. Do you still have you still have those songs somewhere, right? Can we maybe try to post them and do a little comparison or what? Yeah, you know what? I think I do have it somewhere. Let's try to dig that up because I think if we can do a comparison, I think that'd be pretty entertaining. If I don't have it somewhere, we'll cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> right here, cut. <laughs> song was called stitched yeah stitched that sounds familiar <laughs> total rip off. So you know it was that was a deep deep song that was extremely deep yeah this song really did put them on the map though we've discussed the all-time songs in pop punk i know i always say all the small things in fat lip this probably doesn't make that list but it deserves i think to be in the top 20 or 30 of pop punk songs from this time period because it's just so good. Oh, there's no doubt. I would say it's even higher up than that. I would say this is probably a top 10 song from back then. It was that popular. It was that good. What's interesting, Mike, though, is we mentioned Sum 41. When they recorded All Killer No Filler, Fat Lip was the very last song on the album that they wrote and recorded. We also discussed in the Newfound Glory episode, My Friends Over You was the last song written and recorded. Just like them, this was the last song written and recorded by All-American Rejects. Wow. And it just happened to be this blowout success. I still wonder if that's... We see the universally acclaimed, quote-unquote, best songs on every album. Not every album, but those three. I wonder if that's just because they've had another 10 or 11 tracks to really hone in on what sound they want, and then it just so happens the last song they work on, all the pieces fall into place, and it just becomes this perfect pop-punk song. Yeah, it's almost like all the other songs were a practice leading up to this one. They got all the kinks out and all of a sudden they had this masterpiece. Right. But I also wondered like who even determines what the lead single is on an album? Do they have a lot of influence in that? Like it was the most recent one that they wrote. So they say, oh, we like this one the best. Are the producers having a say in that? Do they have a test audience that helps decide that? Like how do they determine that? Who's determining this as their big first single? I'm guessing probably a little bit of everybody you just mentioned. I doubt there's one single person that says, this is the one. I'm sure the band probably has some input in 
what song do you want to play for the rest of your life mm -hmm. if this becomes something big right um and then you see bands that resent their big songs like i know radiohead hates playing creep because that was their first big song and it's they're tired of playing it right but then i'm sure the producers have a big role in that too and i know when dreamworks re-released the album they also made sure that this single was going to get radio play and time on the air they must have heard something that they liked it could have been a large reason why they decided to sign them just this song sure so a cool connection to something we mentioned earlier this song obviously being a very popular single at the time was featured heavily in pop culture it appeared in the film american wedding it appeared in the video game playboy the mansion have you heard of that video game? No. I assume that was not a video game that our parents allowed us to have. I know I did not have Playboy, it. Playboy, the mansion. <laughs> like, what What could that game be? Actually, it probably is incredibly boring. It's probably like a, a really crappy computer graphics game with, like, just blurry girls with, like... Pixelated bodies. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of, like, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 or Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, <laughs> yeah. where it's like you can kind of make out who the people are, but it's just... yeah. You had to be told, like, this is Hugh Hefner. <laughs> yeah. And they're trying to make, like, those types of animated figures hot and attractive <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> provocative. Everything's pointy. There's no, like, yeah. gradual curves of any individual. Yeah. yeah, incredible. We can probably find a YouTube playthrough somewhere. We should look that up. <laughs> I might just download it and actually play through it. <laughs> Why, man? You live it every, every day. That's true. But going back to something we mentioned earlier... It was also featured in the TV shows The O.C. and Smallville. Wow. That's a couple big ones back in the day. Those were huge. And obviously we mentioned that Tyson Ritter has a striking resemblance to Tom Welling from Smallville. Right. But those were like the teen hit dramas, romantic dramas, rom-droms from our era. And this was heavily featured in both of those. Pretty big. That's that DreamWorks money, man. Hey, Mr. O.C. <laughs> Here you go. Did you watch those TV shows? No. I still... Neither? No, neither of them. Oh, they were so good. I've heard. I would still like to go back and watch the OC at some point. It's good. Because that's the one that I hear the most about. And I'm pretty sure Smallville went on for a very long time. And I probably wouldn't be able to get through all the seasons of that. But I do feel like I missed out on a little bit of the times by not seeing those shows when they were actually airing. I feel like I only really watched them because my sister watched them, yeah. and so I was forced to, because she was older than me and had control of the TV, but boy, am I grateful for it. That's kind of true. It's like, at the time, they were quote-unquote girl shows. Well, at least the OC was. Smallville was more, you know, anybody could watch. It's Superman. It is Superman, but it was sort of a... It was like the WB, right? So all those shows kind of had a, a romantic twist on them, right? It was a rom-drom twist right. to Superman, so it wasn't the Superman that you would relate to and know well gotcha but maybe yeah maybe one of these days i'll buy i'm sure the oc dvds are online for like pennies that's very true yes and you'll hear this song on it the final thing do you remember the tv show recess i do i've watched it recently i think it's on disney plus yeah it is on disney plus i've watched it pretty recently too it's still so good it is good but swinger girl you remember swinger girl i do and that episode where she was trying to go over, yeah, over the, the top bar. of the, yeah, she's trying to go over the bar and she does and she like disappears and <laughs> it's a huge mystery and it turns out it's just this big understanding. She went to get like lunch or something. <laughs> swing, swing. 
always brings me back to that. This song is interesting and different because, as we know, the cool intro with the organ, okay, that's an instrument we don't typically hear in these pop punk songs. Also, this song demonstrates how Tyson isn't afraid to use falsetto. In fact, I think he uses falsetto in every one of these songs at one point, but he really uses it in this one. It almost becomes the defining thing of their sound. He does have a pretty good range in terms of what we're used to hearing from these singers. Yeah, not often are these singers willing to use a falsetto. I know you like talking about this pretty often, and I, I noticed it about a lot of tracks on this album. The breakdown and the bridge of this song is just so good. It is really good. I'm going to mention it offhand as we go forward because there's a ton of different songs where I'm like, I think the bridge is my favorite part of this song. Yeah, I think the bridge is often the best part of songs. It's very underrated. Right. People don't notice it as much as I think they should. I think the bridge is typically the coolest part of the song. Right. And in this one, it's just them yelling, bury me, you thought your problems were gone, carry me away, away, away. And I can just imagine at a concert, like, holding that mic out to the crowd yeah. to, like, scream that part. Well, that's what's so cool about the bridge is it's usually where the band regroups, gets the audience's attention, gets some participation, right. and then blasts off into bring it home. the now familiar chorus and then an ending. And yeah, so it's good. Track number four, Time Stands Still. Personally, one of my favorites on the album, I initially wrote down that it was my favorite and I had to change it and say close second place. So this is my second favorite song on the album, but it's so good. I'm glad you did that because I don't think this has happened yet. This is my favorite song on the album. This is your favorite song? It's so good. It is great. I don't think we've shared the same favorite song yet. We have not. So then I guess we can agree this is a, a great song. It was the third single and it didn't really chart or get much airplay which i'm surprised at there's nothing about it that makes me think that it's any less of a song than um the other two singles they released in some ways i think it's even better but go figure to me it's definitely better than swing swing i know that swing swing was the popular one but this one did kind of go under the radar and when the album came out i knew swing swing well i knew the last song well which is the last song on the album obviously this one i actually didn't know it took me a few more years to really discover it and I was like, how did I never hear this one before? Because yeah. it's so good. It's a title that kind of grabs you. Time stands still. Musically, it's different and interesting because the way it comes in, it comes in with that produced drum beat, mm -hmm. clearly a drum machine. And it's followed by an acoustic guitar. And then it blasts into this 
pop punk with like a synth or a keyboard added. It's got all these different things happening at once, but it all works really well together. It does. And then that all kind of fades away and it begins not really with singing, but almost a whisper. Yeah, it does. When Tyson starts singing, it's it's a very low like build up, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he almost alternates between talking and then he has this really awesome singing and it's really back and forth between loud, quiet, loud, quiet. And talk about falsetto. The choruses of this one, they are hard to hit when you're driving in the car. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever gotten there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you have. You've nailed it a couple times. If you say so. So as far as this ongoing narrative, Mike, if you'll indulge me for a second, relationship starts, it ends, he's now jealous. In this song, he's thinking about the good times. He's past this sort of angriness. He's past watching her in this negative light, seeing her move on with her life. And now he's saying, if only I could go back in time and freeze time to when things were perfect. Right. And back to that time reference, it's like, I want to go back to a better time. You're right. We've seen that before. We'll see it again. And I think that's a relatable concept, you know, especially when a relationship or a friendship or any any sort of whether it's romantic or otherwise, when you can feel it kind of falling apart or fading away, your mind does take you back to the good times. It's so easy to only focus on what caused the friction or the ties to be severed in the long run. But ultimately, I found, you know, in the days and weeks and years beyond the actual falling out of touch with somebody or, or losing a loved one or relationship or whatever, your mind doesn't wander back to the bad times. It kind of wanders back to the good times, the happy moments. It's just part of the typical cycle. It's like sometimes relationships will end in a way where you don't want to think about that person. There were just too many negatives. It was a bad relationship. But I would say the majority of the time, you get past that ill will and you do happen to think of the good times. It's like part of the healing process almost. Right. I think that's what this song captures and that's where we are in this All-American Rejects narrative. You can't think of the good times too much though because then you're going to want it back and that's a recipe for disaster. Mm, which we might see later in the album, Mike. We might. I actually have a kind of a twofer here. I have a misheard lyric in addition to a vocabulary word. Whoa, let's go. Where do we want to start here, Mike? <laughs> so the line is, thrown in all directions, you epitome of perfection. She's lost her will. Time is standing still. So I always thought you epitome of perfection was you build me up to perfection. Mm. Almost like you complete me. You make me whole. You make me a mm -hmm. better person. But does you epitome of perfection really make sense here? Like, is she the definition of perfection? Maybe, but it just seems a little bit forced. So I think Epitome might have been in his on his vocab test that week, and he was like, it's going in this song. Yeah, I think he peppered it in. This dude is an incredible songwriter, and I'm trying to dumb him down to like some kid <laughs> yeah. in an out or in a in an English class just practicing his verbs. Well, the funny thing was, he was like 16 when he wrote I know, this. So he probably I know. left his honors lit two class and 
went straight home and was like, oh, yeah, that was a cool word that I <laughs> wrote on the board five times today. Yeah, the teacher was probably like, Tyson, stop uh, writing in your notebook and pay attention. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's use epitome three times in a sentence today, class. Um, you epitome of perfection. <laughs> Perfect. This is my favorite song. I sang this song over and over, I don't know, past 15 years, and never thought that epitome was a word in this song. Go figure. All this talk of freezing time also made me think of one movie in particular. Probably came out a few years after this. You know the movie Click starring Adam Sandler? Well, of course you do. Adam Sandler's your favorite actor, isn't he? (laughs) According to the memory book. I do. I do know the movie. I don't think I've ever seen that one all the way through. Oh, you haven't? I don't think so. I know the general premise. Eh, honestly, it's probably for the best. Yeah. But it is shockingly depressing. Really? It kind of starts off like this classic Adam Sandler movie, this goofy middle-aged guy who somehow is married to the most beautiful woman in the world. Right. We see what you're doing there, Adam Sandler. <laughs> but it does take kind of a dark turn where, I don't want to spoil it too much, but he's messing around with time travel and he's dealing with some of the unintended consequences of it and his life is kind of ruined because of it wow but i thought about that because this guy is talking about wanting to be stuck in a time when things were perfect and that's essentially what adam sandler is trying to do in that movie he's trying to pause it he's trying to fast forward through the really bad times and the stressful times and the boring times and just be present in what makes him happy and it bites him in the butt long term that's not a bad idea but i think you need the bad times to be able to appreciate the good times Exactly right. I think that's what was like the moral of this Adam Sandler flip. Right. It was like, don't waste any time. Every moment is precious. It is funny how Adam Sandler, like one movie is just a joke. The next one's this deep introspective, like makes you think kind of movie. Still might not be good. Yeah, for sure. The last thing, the music video for this one, also very good. I think we forgot to mention it, but both the music video for Swing Swing and the music video for Time Stand Still, really good. And like I said... The music videos were what got me sucked in. Mm-hmm. So it's worth going back and rewatching those. They are fun to watch. We differ in the sense that I don't really think I ever watched them as often as you did back in the day. But yeah, Swing Swing is kind of just the telling of a relationship that's in the middle of falling apart. You know, it shows a boyfriend and girlfriend getting along great, and then they start fighting. And by the end of it, the girlfriend leaves and the boyfriend has his buddies help him out and kind of what we discussed with the song itself. It follows the theme of the song pretty nicely. But the Time Stand Still one is a little bit of a different twist. It's the band just performing the song, but then it's almost like Groundhog's Day. Like Tyson keeps pulling up over and over and then walking into the performance space and morphing into other Tyson's body. I'm not sure exactly what the point of the video is. It is a cool video. It's almost like double exposure on film yeah that's what it looks like but i think also it's a reference to the possibility that you can exist in different dimensions and different times and you want to be able to capture those really good times and you want to be able to move away from the really bad times track number five one more sad song Secrets rise. One more sad song, tears shed. She's gone, she'd take it back if she only could. And all the perfect words, they seem so wrong. She's gone. You wish that you could learn to see the doors closed. 
I love the heavier opening compared to other songs on the album. It just comes in with a boom, doesn't it? It does. It's definitely a little bit of a departure from the openings of the first couple songs. Just not quite as poppy as the other songs, really. Right. I know that you like pointing this out, Keenan, but this is a story song. It is a story song. I, I did make note of that. but <laughs> So the way that I saw the story arc was, it starts out as this perfect relationship. Things are going really well. All of a sudden, a number of bad things happen. He mentions there's some sort of cheating. Not just cheating, Keenan, but his girl cheats on him with his best friend. Very sad. And then by the end of the song, you're saying goodbye to this person. I don't get it because he's, you know, she cheated on him with his best friend. That's a pretty, like, that's a messed up moment that usually is a deal breaker in most people's relationships. But at the end, he's still saying, please stay, don't go away. The hardest thing is letting go of you. I think that can happen and it could still be hard to say goodbye. Yeah, but please stay. Like, he still wants her to stay. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I just think if, if your girl cheats on you with your best friend... You can more or less write them both off as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, that's true. I think you just chalk it up to Tyson being emotional, frustrated, and confused. And that's probably where those last few lines come from. There's another reference to um, not being able to breathe, which we've heard a couple times already on this album. Breathing is a big topic in all of pop punk, actually. Yeah. Weirdly. I think that's just a classic uh, trope. It's a very relatable thing where it's like you feel like you're having a panic attack or... Breathing is sustaining life, and without that, without this person in your life, is life worth living? Ugh, who knows? Yeah, they're your life force. Oof, big. I also noticed that they talk about time again in this one. It's a good comparison song, or I guess really a contrast to Time Stand Still, where time is your friend, and you want to hold on to the good times. This one, it's the opposite. In this one, time is a bad thing. The line goes... Time goes by, secrets rise. One more sad song, tears shed, she's gone. She'd take it back if she only could. So in this, as time progresses, things just get worse and worse and worse. Your girlfriend cheats on you, your friend lies to you. It's all happening over this horrible time period. Right. Interesting contrast to the earlier songs. The time that has passed in this song, you almost wish it would have stood still because all these awful things keep happening. Yeah. Like, you wish you could freeze the part of the relationship before there was infidelity and backstabbing and whatnot. Well, that's what Time Stand Still is talking about. Right. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Going off of what I mentioned before, this song has my favorite bridge on the album. Oh! It's so good. It's so, so good. I just like that you're now picking up on the bridges. I think in these songs, they really stand out as like highlights for me, which hasn't happened yet. And with that, Mike, I think it's time to move on. <laughs> oh. Any like that. Track number six, Why Worry? 
title makes me think of don't worry be happy yeah i was just thinking that it's like why worry feel good why you know? worry but is this a feel good song mike no <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it is either i think here comes our album narrative this one is about still being in love with an ex so even after all that stuff that happened previously she cheated on you you said goodbye we did hear at the end of the song that he said please stay don't go away right Mm-hmm. I think in this one, he's admitting that he's still in love with his ex. And he's trying to get over somebody who he used to be really close with, and it's hard to do. He can't move on. He can't take it anymore. Yeah, so he's still in love with her, and she's over him. Exactly. He says he can't move on. He can't take it. She says we won't make it. So it's like, dude, we're done. That's a tough thing to accept sometimes. The lines, I whisper, remember what she did, don't miss her. I mean, that's got to be a direct reference to the earlier song, right? I think so, too. She did all these horrible things to you. You're reminding yourself, even though you still have these lingering feelings, you're reminding yourself, it's not worth it. She's a bad person. You have to move on, Tyson. Yeah. That reminds me of something you tell yourself, like, before you text somebody, you know? Like, before you have a couple drinks and say, like, let me let me just text them or let me just call them. That's one where you write it out and you're like, ah, you know what? I'm going to meditate on that for a little bit. Yeah. And then you come back to it, like, an hour later and you're like, oh, God, no delete yeah or like they say it's it's good to like text one of your friends what you're thinking of sending to somebody else and they can be the judge of whether it's complete trash or not yeah exactly (laughs) it's always trash yeah that's like the modern version of writing a letter they always used to say like write a letter put it in your desk drawer for a couple days and then decide if you want to mail it right Which, by the way what an old-timey saying yeah, that is very old-timey. Who writes letters? It is a little frustrating how instantaneous things are, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's a million texts or emails, like, even just, like, not even personal stuff, like work emails. Like, you spell somebody's name wrong, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wish I could take that one back. I also noticed, not only was it a reference to the last song, but I noticed a connection to the last song. The end of this one is, I'll write you, I'll call you now. So he's very confused. He admits that he'll probably come crawling back to her, even though he knows it's the wrong thing to do. Kind of like what we're just talking about with the text and the letters. Right. He's going to make the wrong decision and he knows it, which is kind of an upsetting thing to me. Poor guy. Poor Tyson. It gets better, bud. Yeah, you'll be okay, buddy. You'll be okay. (laughs) You're going to sell 500,000 copies of your DVD. Yeah. Live from Oklahoma DVD. (laughs) Track number seven, Don't Leave Me. Oh, geez. This one is, it's just piling on now. Is he just begging her not to leave? 
hey, Keenan, I thought we already reviewed Blink-182's Enema of the State. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. So musically, very different from other bands in the pop punk scene, but similar to what they've been doing, it starts with that drum machine sound again, a pretty cool beat. The intro sounded a lot to me like a Hello Goodbye song. Hello Goodbye is known for mixing different sounds, incorporating more electronic sounds, more produced sounds into their songs. And this sounded a lot like those types of songs musically. Yeah, I can definitely hear that. More pop rock and alternative compared to like the classic punk rock emo sound. Mm-hmm. I think they try to change it up musically on each song, which I appreciate. It is about a girl leaving you. There are the lines, you're sweet just like the sun, but what happens when the sun doesn't stay? The night reminds me when you went away. We also hear again what you picked up on, this night-day reference. Yeah. And it's like, the day is good, you're happy to be awake in the day, and when the night comes... You're sad, it's dark, it's lonely. He's comparing her to the sun in daytime, and she's leaving like the sun leaves when it becomes night. Right. So the chorus has always reminded me of almost like a nursery rhyme. It's leave me once, leave me twice, kiss goodbye, that will suffice. It's very like sing-songy. I was thinking that too, yeah. And I know that that in and of itself, the leave me once, it's an expression, it's not a nursery rhyme, but it reminds me of like the fool me once, shame on... You fool me twice, shame on me. That sing-songy nature of it reminded me of what we talked about back in the Simple Plan episode with the song I Won't Be There. Mm -hmm. When they say, I don't want to hurt you, you don't want to hurt me. So it's kind of similar in that sense where it's like you're bopping along. It's kind of like silly lyrics, but it, it gets, uh, it sounds good. Something a music teacher might sing to the kids in preschool. I wonder if Tyson just had a nursery rhyme stuck in his head when he wrote this. It's kind of what it seems like. He wrote this one when he was five. Yeah. <laughs> well, he basically was five when this came out. So, <laughs> This was the point of the album when I thought to myself, are these all about the same girl? And I know you confirmed that already, but... Yeah. I would say this part in that story, that overarching story is, okay, things were dark for a while. Bad things happened. He sort of admitted that he still had feelings for her. He's still in love with her. Now he's like maybe at rock bottom where he's begging her not to go right and his days are horrible that she's not around anymore and he realized that everything that happened to this point was a big mistake this could be rock bottom of the album and that's probably why you picked up on the fact that it could be about the same girl it seems like this is like the natural low point i think the song just being called don't leave me really made me perk up and say oh it's this again yeah yeah that's true <laughs> yeah we've kind of been bombarded with it 
song after song at this point. But still, all these songs are good. I don't want it to come across like I dislike any of these songs. I like all of them. No, the songs are great. Just because they're I mean, similar themes, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you might be burned out on the themes, but, I mean, these themes are timeless. These themes don't really get old, do they? Right. Track number eight, Too Far Gone. This one has a finger-picking guitar intro, which, again, it's different than any of the other songs that we've heard so far on the album. And I think when you hear that, the finger-picking, you know it's going to be a very deep song. Yeah, this is the song on the album that starts really slow, Mike. I think, to your point of being emotional. It does pick up a little bit, but one of the slower songs on the album, at least initially. As far as theme, you're now kind of done with begging this person to be with you. And it's like, okay, now I just want to be put out of my misery. <laughs> You're sick of wanting to be with them constantly. You're sick of being turned down by them. Now it's like, okay, like the title of the song is Too Far Gone. Mm-hmm. It's not salvageable. It's too broken at this point. Right. You know? And there's a line that says, I should warn you, things you're feeling aren't normal now. Like he's convincing himself that this is not a normal way to feel or behave. Right. He's just been dragged through the mud. She's not going to get back with him. He's a broken man. He realized that he's at rock bottom. Now it might be time to move on. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Come on. So they're fish in the sea. I'm starting to really feel for him. And it says his heart is learning. Teach me heartache. Stop this burning. Stop this, this passion from taking over my life and my emotions. Let me experience this heartache and learn from it and move on from it. This could be like the pivot point in the album where maybe it's up from here there's one thing if there's any possible departure from the album that's off topic i thought maybe it could be this one it's not but if you separate yourself from okay it's about this ex-girlfriend this person that he's clearly not dating anymore i thought this could have been their death song like how the majority of the bands that we talked about up to this point have had a song about death or a song about suicide or something like that right this one could have been theirs there was one line that stood out to me towards the end that said, it's not easy, let you go somehow. North is calling, now I'm falling at your feet, please stay. I thought maybe it could have been like a loved one who was on their deathbed. North is calling made me think like, okay, they're going up to heaven or something like that. That was the only thing I could think of. Otherwise, I didn't know what North meant. Yeah, if you isolate that line, I could definitely see where you're coming from with it being about somebody leaving in the permanent sense. It could be maybe that we're thinking too far into it, and maybe the girl's just going to school up in North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, up in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. Yeah. The North <laughs> up is in uh, the North Pole. <laughs> yeah. 
North is calling. She's actually Tim Allen, and now she has to be Santa Claus. Yeah. Wait, isn't Kanye West's son or daughter named North? I think his daughter's named North. His daughter's named North. So you think maybe uh, Kanye West's daughter is calling Tyson Ritter? I think I read Kanye actually named her North because of this song. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be hilarious, though. It was because of the Something Corporate album. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. We can just agree that it's definitely some sort of pop punk adjacent reference. Yeah, right? absolutely. But yeah, that line aside, I do think it probably is just about a relationship. But I like the line of thought, you know, trying to break free of this miserable uh, person that Tyson's trying to get over. Oh, because the death of a loved one is so much happier. (laughs) (laughs) He just needs a change of pace. Yeah. Let's separate one depressing theme with another. Yeah. No, I'm not saying like a big relative, just like, you know, a third cousin or something. You know, just see the family get together for brunch or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a formality to basically say goodbye to this person. Tell some jokes. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's fair. This is the song, Mike. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I should say this is one of the songs on the album that sounded a lot like another song to me what's that so the intro to this song specifically sounded a lot like that blink 182 song what went wrong Do you remember that song, how it starts with the acoustic intro? Yeah, I can hear that. The chords are similar. Yeah, the chord progression, the chords they use sound very similar. The leading is almost the exact same. Are we going to throw it in for the people? Yeah, we got we to gotta pop it in there, right? We got to let the folks decide. We got to let the pop punk posse decide. It'd be funny if, like, everybody listening every week is just saying, Keenan's an idiot. This sounds nothing like this other song. <laughs> yeah. I've had people reach out and say, wow, I never made that connection. Those do sound alike. Poor Mikey has to parrot his response every week just saying, oh, <laughs> you're definitely right, Keenan. They sound so similar. <laughs> you're allowed to disagree. Do you disagree? You can disagree. In this case, no. Actually, as of yet, no, I have not. Okay. I can see the connections you've been making on all of these thus far. The thing is, if you disagree, I'll just edit it out. So it's really <laughs> yeah. not the end of the world. Um, let's mark down that time. <laughs> Track number nine, Drive Away. Vroom, vroom. That is the sound a car makes, Mike. <laughs> or a motorcycle. <laughs> Following the last song, Too Far Gone, where you realize this relationship is beyond repair, there's no hope for it, and you feel like you're probably ready to move on, now 
Tyson addresses, okay, well, what do I do at this point? Song title, drive away. And so I got the feeling that the song was about your ex is with another guy. You regret the things that happened in the past, the things that went wrong to led to this moment. You still have that desire to literally go back in time and change the past. And there are lines about that where he says, oh, if I write myself a letter, if I write her a letter, could I have changed things? But at the end of the day, you can't do that. And so it's time to just remove yourself from the situation entirely. Literally, drive the other way. So, Keenan, we've talked about my favorite lines on an album, what line I would get tattooed on my body. Oh, are we there? I always look forward to this. We are. Because I just want to see you fully tatted from top to bottom <laughs> in pop punk lyrics. This album was tough because there wasn't a ton of lines that really, like, within the song, they fit fine, but on their own, wouldn't make for a great tattoo. But yeah, uh, the one I settled on was, I wish I could drive away to the sunset back to the day that we first met. Oh, yeah. I do like that one. thought that was a nice uh, reflective line. Yeah. Just simpler times. Probably the best point in the relationship, honestly. For sure. I would get it on my left wrist. Left wrist? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right wrist still open, right? I think so. Gosh, we should start writing these down because I really don't remember. It would be nice if we had fans who could just keep track of it for us. Yeah. Pop Punk Posse, <laughs> whoever's out there and wants to keep track of where Mike needs to get tattoos, please. A diagram would be perfect. <laughs> Send it to us at Pop Punk Prod. Me as the operation guy. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Or like one of those crime scene pictures of just like the very generic <laughs> the chalk, body. The and the chalk outline, yeah. The chalk outline, yeah. But it does bring back up that theme of time and how you want to just drive back in time to when things were perfect. Can you ever go back, Keenan? In time? Mm-hmm. One day, hopefully. It's like lost. Man, the things that I would change. We have to go back. But this song literally talks about time travel. It's like not figurative anymore. It's literal time travel. Right. What would he go back and change? What things would he do differently to not be at this point? Hopefully never start dating this girl at all, right? Well, either that or do everything perfect so that she doesn't <laughs> want to cheat on him with his best friend. Uh, I think there's a lot that you have to do differently to not Yeah, that's not asking to that too point. much, right? <laughs> well, for her, apparently... What would you change, Mike? Is there one thing in your life that you would go back and change? Is that too real or what? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I've lucked out pretty much, you know. Probably would have maybe worked harder at certain points in my life. but Yeah, I think everybody probably feels that way. Yeah, but no, in terms of uh, I'm happy with my life right now. And i got beautiful wife, beautiful boy, my beautiful boy, Keenan. That's me. Who's got more hair, me or your baby boy, Jack? Uh, if we're looking at the entire body, probably you. Please don't talk about my body hair. <laughs> Head only, Jack, for sure. Okay. What about my beard? Like, factor my beard into his head hair. You have a nicer beard than my 15-month-old. Uh, <laughs> I mean cumulative hair. Right. So cumulative, yeah, you have more. I said that. Okay, I cool. Gave you, I gave you props for that. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I always say, like, if I go, no offense, but, like, if I go bald, I'm going to be so pissed off because I have hair all over my goddamn body. But trust me, I'm the same way. <laughs> It's a sick joke, dude. I'm no stranger to that. What? Wait, what would you change? Asking me to start this uh, podcast <laughs> with you? No way, Mike. It's the best decision I've ever made. Honestly, I think I agree with you. There's not a whole lot I would change. There's not like a big thing that stands out that I'm like, oh, if only I did that differently, which is what they're saying in the song. It's like, oh, if only I could change that one big thing. If only I could make this one thing better. I don't think I have anything like that. 
there's a lot of little things that I'm like, my life would be maybe a little bit better if I had done this slightly differently. Right. We also have the blessing of, of making it past the age of 16 without recording an album. That's true. Our big problems from way back when, probably don't even remember them right now. Well, you apparently remember getting cut from the middle school basketball <laughs> team. and <laughs> That one sticks with me. <laughs> some memories don't fade quite as easily as others, clearly. No, it is what it is. I just thought it was funny that I got my own private tryout just to be cut. <laughs> the past is in the past. In the words of Elsa from Frozen. I did mention that there were a couple songs in this album that reminded me of others. This is the other one. Mm. This song, this could be so offensive to all American rejects and just our audience and everybody, but this song sounds a lot like a Jonas Brothers song to me. And I know that obviously Jonas Brothers were famous way after it. So if there was any sort of material borrowing or copying, it was Jonas Brothers being influenced by all American rejects. But there's a song called The Year 3000. You know that one? Of course. I'm going to um, show my ass here a little bit, but that wasn't even a Joe Bros original. That was a cover of a band from England. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. I think they were called like um, Busted or something. Some stupid name. <laughs> stupid. But their version was a little bit more risque. Oh, okay. So Jonas Bros cleaned it up for the, the young crowd. Right. And obviously that song was a, a mega hit for the Jonas Brothers. Right. Doesn't the guitar riff and the synth sound and doesn't it sound a lot like the year 3000 yeah see i'm not gonna get the pitchfork because i agree with you i actually thought the exact same thing okay good Not down to the specific song, but I thought that it was really poppy, especially in the opening. And I mm -hmm. likened it to Jonas Brothers or here's a man we haven't mentioned yet, The Click Five. Yeah, that's a sort of a pop band. It's almost like a boy band, pop punk band hybrid. Right. I mean, they're not really pop punk, but pop band, boy band combination. And that kind of made me realize like, the All-American Rejects were, a couple of these songs go a little bit differently. They could have been that kind of band, I think. Sure, yeah. That's not what they ultimately became. But from this album, there is a lot of pop influences. I think more than punk influences. Yeah, I agree. Their career could have taken a completely different direction. It could have. I would say that it sounds like their foundation is a little bit more raw and punk. Mm -hmm. But no, there's no doubt. I think they're edgier, but... Similar, for sure. And the Jonas Brothers are pretty awesome, dude. I like the Jonas Bros. We're in 2020 now. The Jonas Brothers are cool. I have no problem with them. It was lame to like them in like 2007 when your sister was listening to them, but now it's like everybody's like, those guys are cool. Did you watch their Amazon documentary? I have not, no. Is it worthwhile? It's worthwhile, yeah. Okay. I will check it out. Maybe the reason why the year 3000 specifically stood out to me, not only because it sounded very similar musically, but also because... Both songs seem to be about time travel, right? Yeah. This one is about going back in the past. The Jonas Brothers song is about transporting 
into the future to the year 3000. So it's like, it's another layer. It is another layer. It's another weird connection, but kind of cool. Definitely cool. Track number 10, happy endings. Uh Uh-oh, Mike, is this about massage parlors? (gasps) Oh, Keenan. Come on, let's clean it up. Keenan. Tyson Ritter was underage when he wrote this song, so I sure hope not. The ears hear what they want, Mike. The opening to this song, it has bells in it. It does have bells. It's not something you hear very often on pop punk songs, but this is kind of the theme of this album is using different instruments and especially in the opening of the tracks, trying to make each track stand out with the opening. These types of bells are more reminiscent of like a Christmas song than a pop punk song. Exactly. When I listened to it, I thought of like an Old Navy or JCPenney Christmas commercial. Mm Mm-hmm. This would be the background music for their TV ads where it's like, shop in store or online for all the holiday season's greatest items. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it and is. And in the background, you just hear, bung, bung, bung. <laughs> yeah. It's not your traditional Christmas song, but it has like the bells in it. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's Christmas. Yep. Exactly. It's a wintry song. I love holiday commercials. I will say that. I fall into some deep YouTube holes of just watching like 80s and 90s, like Christmas commercials sometimes. I can't tell if that's. Fun or very sad? It's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> but it's mostly fun because then every once in a while you see one that you actually saw and you remember it right. when you were little. It's like, oh, cool. Okay, true or false? The best Christmas commercials are the M&M ones. Uh, I think that's a safe true. I think that's kind of the universal favorite. I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite, but I know that that's like a crowd pleaser. They always do a nice job with those. I know the Coca-Cola ones are pretty iconic with the polar bears and, and whatnot. Yeah. A Christmas commercial I always remember is the, the Campbell's Soup commercial where the kid comes in from playing outside and he's a snowman. Yeah, and it melts him. Yeah, the mom gives him chicken noodle soup and he melts down. Yeah. And he's just like this warm, like in his PJs. That's like the perfect snow day. Oh, that one is so wholesome. That makes me want soup right now. We should do a poll. We should see what the pop punk posse thinks is the best Christmas commercial of all time. I'd be down. And what's the most pop punk Christmas commercial of all time? <laughs> nah, there probably no, was never a pop punk band in a Christmas commercial. So with this, it might be pretty obvious from the title, but it seems like now that Tyson has driven away into the sunset, now he's sort of content moving on and he's picturing his happy ending. He's ready to start talking to girls again. He's ready to start flirting with girls. That's the other funny thing is like, he's a good looking guy. Yeah. Why is he hung up on this one girl? We just agreed that he's extremely dreamy. Yeah. 
he should feel very positive about going up and speaking with girls. Mike, the heart wants what it wants, you know? I wonder what it's like growing up in a college town. Like, you know, Stillwater, you have OSU right there. I wonder what that's like if you went to parties at a younger age or, you know what I mean? Talk to freshmen when you were in high school. It probably would have been pretty cool. A lot of activity, a lot of things to do, but yeah. I don't know. You're probably not really subjected to, like, the frat parties. Right. I think your parents probably try to keep you away from all that. Yeah, they can probably smell you coming a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, year 12. <laughs> You know, they're very ethical people. The frat bouncers, yeah. Yeah. They're known for being uh, on top of it and thorough in their <laughs> ID checks. For sure. Once again, they do bring up this theme of time. There's a desire for the past when things were better. I don't know if it's necessarily a desire for this specific person, but he does want to get back to when things were better. So he's ready to start making moves, turning his life around. The chorus also has the setup of one, two, three. Did you notice that? I did notice that, yeah. When you were younger, did your parents ever give you to the count of three to do something? Oh my God. Or stop doing something? Keenan James, I will give you to the count of three if I had a nickel. Did you ever get to three? Oh yeah. Really? I flew pretty close to the sun at times. What happened? You couldn't play snood anymore? <laughs> yeah. No snood, no 50 cent for me. I just saw your eyes go to a lifetime of trauma that I <laughs> <laughs> inadvertently evoked. No, I, I think I think three would be uttered and then I would immediately balk and be like, oh, okay, yeah. fine, I'll do it. And it was stupid stuff like come up for dinner yeah. or clean your room or whatever. Yeah, but back then, that was hard. Turn off that Nintendo. I want to play more video games with my friends, Bob. If they were giving you to the count of three to turn off your game, you had to save. That takes like at least five seconds. They just didn't get it. Parents never got it. Um, I'm really close to the next save point, And the last save point was like 25 minutes ago. So can you give me five more minutes, please? <laughs> when you heard those footsteps coming up or down the stairs, though, wherever you were. Oh, that's the worst. But in this song, Mike, a lyric is hopeful dreaming of times before the pain, wishing it was still the same. So he does just want to get back to the happy times. And then finally, to my favorite song of the album, The Last Song. Very appropriately named, I think, right, Mike? Yeah, very literal. I appreciate that. Not only is this my favorite song, but Tyson Ritter has gone on record to say that this is his favorite song of the album. Huh, that's pretty cool. Let me throw one more name at you. This is my sister Caitlin's favorite song as well. Really? Wow, mm -hmm. we're amongst a good crowd here. Yeah, I checked with her earlier today. Very good taste. Perfect. Similar to other songs, they like to use other instruments outside of the classic ones. Yeah, this one stands out more than most of the other ones for me. There's a whole string section. 
in the bridge and it's really awesome actually I don't, I don't know how else to describe it if you watch the music video for this one they're performing on a football field and they actually have the violinist and cellist there with them playing that part so it's it's pretty cool yeah it's really cool speaking of the music video the music video is incredible i think it's better than the other music videos from the album it's like your perfect dream day mm-hmm. like imagine what you would do if there were no rules and that's what they do in this. And that's what the high school kid would want to do. So it's like Tyson Ritter is driving his crappy old car, which suddenly becomes this like amazing muscle car. Yeah, like this red convertible. Right. And he's just driving around the city. Doing donuts in parking lots. He's spinning out of control. He's going off of jumps. He's just breaking all the rules of the road and having a blast. And then I believe the lead guitarist, Nick Wheeler, he has an ordinary day at the grocery store and all of a sudden everybody disappears and he's just alone in there and he has the cart and he's just running around He's getting snacks he's like knocking over display stands yep he's riding the cart through aisles crashing into things it's awesome and then the other two members of the band the guitarist and the drummer they're like sitting on a golf course eating sugary cereal drinking beer watching these old golfers <laughs> walk by and they actually pour the beer in the cereal I did notice that. Pretty gross. That's something that I might try right now. <laughs> Ew. I also <laughs> noticed they put the beer in koozies. So I wonder if that was due to licensing issues. Like, you know, they can't have a Coors Light can or whatever. Yeah. Or if it was because some of the members were underage and they didn't want to. They could always say, oh, no, it's just soda. That's true. Yeah, that's one way to spin it. Maybe it was just soda. I forgot that they were all like 18 at the it time. It could have been. So. But no, this song, it's pretty much just what a high schooler would consider an awesome day. Yeah. And then the theme of the song echoes that a little bit. It's like, okay, Tyson's not going to let this person hold him back anymore. He's going to spread his wings, moving on to the next chapter. This whole album was about this one girl and this crazy relationship and all the emotions that were associated with it. And now he's accepted that it's done. He's accepted that he's on to brighter, better things. And he's finally happy. That's all he deserves. He does deserve it. I appreciate him sharing his plight with us. Must not have been easy. No, poor guy. But yeah, this is the perfect way to end this album. Both in title and musically, it's just a fantastic song. It's really good. I mean, the whole thing is great. And I can also appreciate that it's the last song on the album that they named the last song. <laughs> like, you can't get more matter of fact, can't get more literal than that. That also makes it even funnier that Swing Swing was the last song they wrote and recorded. I know, <laughs> yeah. So they wrote this before that at some point. Guys, I know what we said, but uh, it turns out we need one more. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. Joke's over. Like, this is the actual last yeah. song, guys. Overall, I think... The big hits on this album and the three singles of this album, Mike, were three of the better songs on an album that we've covered so far. I don't know if there were too many albums where you can take the top three and be like, okay, these are clearly better. I think these were really good. Right. I agree. As we discussed, the last song is my favorite song. 
Time Stand Still was a close second. And then obviously Swing Swing, which is a mega hit, I guess would have been my third favorite song. So it's like for Swing Swing to be the third favorite. That's not a bad album. Those songs are killer. And all the other songs that surround them are great as well. Like, I don't think there's a bad song on this album, in my opinion. There's not. It's cool that they decided to use different instruments. It could have been a product of the fact that they didn't have the musicians at the time, which is kind of funny to think about. But that forced them or that allowed them to experiment with these different sounds, which I think added some depth. Definitely. And I think it gave them their own unique sound going forward. In reviewing this album, this struck me as rather unusual. These guys have only put out four albums. Is that it? Wow. Yeah. This one in 2003, Move Along in 2005, When the World Comes Down, released in 2008, and Kids in the Street, which was released all the way back in 2012. So they haven't recorded an album since 2012? Right. Man, I didn't even realize. I think they put out a compilation album or two, and Tyson Ritter actually just started his own side project called Sharpton Man. He released a song called Pine Box back in early August. And I think his reasoning behind that was he's been isolated due to uh, COVID. So he mm-hmm. started writing and recording his own song. So he doesn't really know if much more will come out of that. But for right now, there's a single out there that he just put out, which is pretty good. I listened to it today. So I was saying to my sister, we were talking about them earlier. And it's like a lot of these bands, I feel overwhelmed with trying to catch up to the albums I missed as I was going through life. This band, like... I love their first two albums. I like their third album. So all I really need to do is just listen to that 2012 album, assess what I think of it, and these guys could be right back in my uh, regular rotation. Yeah, there's no doubt. But yeah, I thought that was crazy that they've only done four albums. So you like the fact that they have a smaller catalog because it's easier to manage and it's probably less filler too, to be honest. Right. The stuff they put out isn't, like, it's not bad. I listened to a couple of their new songs today, and I actually really enjoyed them, which a lot of these bands, whether it's my taste have changed or their sound has changed or a little bit of both, that's not always the case. But Well, these guys have always appealed, as we've mentioned, to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And so I think their sound is a little more agreeable for the average person. And I think even if your tastes change from emo to punk to lighter pop, I think their sound is always going to be approachable. The final thing to mention that makes this album unique and All American Rejects unique is we haven't covered an album yet where from first song to last song, you can really follow a story. We've seen that individual songs on some of these albums have a good narrative to them, like in Brand New and Taking Back Sunday. Even in Green Day, you can hear that. But the whole album just sort of makes sense. It's like, One pretty simple story. It's a story that works over and over again. And you get some conclusion at the very end. I thought a pretty nice touch, Mike. I would have to agree with you. I love this album.
Well, it's good to know that their catalog of music isn't exceptionally big. I feel like we can probably get through a few more of their albums and maybe All American Rejects is the first band where we listen to every single thing that they wrote, recorded, and released. I think we could do that. We probably should throw some other stuff in in between, but eventually. For next week, our big episode 10, we wanted to commemorate that benchmark with an album that's very near and dear to our hearts. This was an album that I think we bonded over probably more so than any other album from back then. Without a doubt. We also wanted to save it until we thought we had a better handle on really what we were trying to do with this podcast. So I think we'll be here at episode 100 saying the same thing, but... Yeah, that's true. Episode 10, Good Charlotte's The Young and the Hopeless. You can find us on the World Wide Web, poppunkproj at gmail.com, Twitter and Instagram at poppunkproject, and patreon.com slash poppunkproject. Thank you to all those who have already offered their support. It means literally the world. It does mean the world. And all the stars out there in the galaxy. Your star, my star, Aunt Edna's star. (laughs) Love you, Aunt Edna. Thank you all again. As always, appreciate the support. Love you guys. We hope you had the time of your lives. Good riddance. Mm